0: we 'll just continue on where we were, just a quick introduction here. We were dealing with, of course, Titus being sent uh, to the Cretian people here uh, in order to set things in order, ordaining elders, uh, rebuking uh, the the loose living of the Cretian Christians uh, that had been saved and uh, uh, we looked at uh, what he expects for them out uh, of chapter number two. He's dealing with the healthy family, uh, that he wants the church to be a healthy church. And sin uh, causes a lot of problems in the church. And so he wants us to be a healthy family. Uh, and I believe that's what this is talking to here. The aged men, the aged women, the young women, and then the young men in verse number 6 of Titus chapter number 2. Exhort them to be sober-minded. So young men, that's a good exhortation, uh, to be sober-minded. And then in verse number 7, we've gone from the uh, healthy family to the heading to follow or a head to follow. I hate to use that word because the preacher's not the head. He's the under shepherd, right? Christ is the head, uh, but just give me a little break for my alliteration. I'm stretching it to even make that work, okay? Uh, so a heading to follow is a little bit better. So and he exhorts back to the preacher once again, and tells him uh, how he ought to show uh, a pattern of good works. Give uh, these, especially you young men. Uh, I'd rather you look up to, to preachers uh, than than uh, athletes or anyone else. Uh, if they're doing the right thing and given a pattern of good works and in doctrine showing incorruptness, gravity and sincerity, and in verse number eight, sound speech, it cannot be condemned that he that is a contrary part may be ashamed. Uh, and that semicolon there in verse number eight is connecting these two independent clauses. And we will see that to continue. You've you got to notice in these sentences. Mike, and, for example, where we're going to go, uh, we'll see also this it's one long sentence. It's not uh, summed up. Sometimes we end the sentence too quickly. But sound speech, it cannot be condemned. He is on contrary, probably ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Verse number nine exhorts servants to be obedient unto their own masters, to please them well in all things, and not answering again. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. It's about at least the third time now we have this adorning uh, or becometh, same same idea there. Uh, things that become sound doctrine to the preacher, uh, aged women as becometh holiness, and then servants. That uh, they adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. God uh, wants us to be in good employees on our job. Nothing damages more on your workforce and in your job uh, than somebody that claims to be a Christian and they won't show up to work. They're never on time. They try harder to get out of work than ever working. And you just hope and pray they don't tell anybody where they go to church. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> At least, please don't be a Baptist. <laughs> And make all of us look bad. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I've had some bosses the same way. And cuss you up inside one and down the other and claim to be a Christian. Please don't tell everybody you're a Christian and be cussing people at work, okay? Uh, be a good employee. Be obedient to your own master and adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Very important uh, that we do that. And he uh, looked at honor in the field in verse number nine through verse number 10. Then we got down to verse number 11 and we looked at holiness in the faithful. And uh, uh, again, I ended this morning say, making this statement, and I still believe this is true. Um, he's, I think, in a way, uh, telling the preacher that uh, don't worry about being uh, preaching holiness uh, because the grace of God uh, that has uh, brought salvation to the people you're preaching to uh, will have that witness in themselves. It's teaching them the same thing you're teaching them. Right? The grace of God is teaching you to be holy. Right? And if it's not, then it's not the grace of God teaching you. You read a book somewhere that you need to burn and get back in your Bible. Right? God expects Christians to live right amen and so if there's something else in you telling you the opposite of that I would ignore it and turn to your Bible and see that the grace of God this isn't a different grace this isn't a grace that comes at the appearance of our Savior when he establishes his kingdom upon the earth and reigns for a thousand years this is the present grace of God that brings salvation it's the same grace that brought you salvation uh, the same grace that enables you will not only Educates you but also uh, establish you right so this grace that has established you in salvation uh, enables you in the work of grace we'll see that a little bit uh, moving forward Uh, but here it's talking about the grace of God that educates us right the grace of God is teaching me to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts That's what grace is teaching me. My flesh is saying get all you can get and get by with. If God didn't kill you, do it again. That's what your flesh will say. The grace of God that brought salvation to you is saying live holy, live right. Don't do that. That's going to get you in trouble. That's going to dishonor God. Don't follow those ungodly lusts. Those are ungodly. Deny those and walk in the spirit. Don't fulfill those lusts. That's what grace is teaching me. If grace is teaching people that they can get saved and live any way they want to and live in all manner of sin and wickedness, it is not the grace of God right and so shame on them for teaching that and that should not take away from the uh, present uh, position that we all have and enjoy I'll give you this ahead of myself because it's on my mind but I'll give you this quote by Spurgeon I was going to wait a little bit and give you this but he said let present privilege awaken us to present duty And now while life lasts, let us spend and be spent for our sweet Lord Jesus. Our justification and our standing, our position uh, should encourage our practice, right? And what my position is telling me to do is to act as I've received him, right? Jesus is holy, and I've been positionally by Holy Spirit put in a holy Savior by a holy God. And that holy transaction and that holy position I've been placed in is teaching me to practically live holy while I'm breathing God's air. Right. And I don't know how that anybody could, uh, how, would they, how would they expound upon these scriptures and tell people and encourage them. Uh, this, is what, this is what a, a sign I read uh, one time on a billboard at a Presbyterian church or something. I don't remember where it was. But it said, sit back and let God fix all of your problems. Now who was crazy enough to put that up there? You had to go to school and get educated to be that dumb. Amen. Come on now. Sit back and let God fix your problems. You're going to sit back and make a mess of things. It won't happen by accident. You won't just wake up in the morning and accidentally deny ungodliness and just so happen to live right. That will not happen. You'll have to fully intend on it all throughout the day, denying yourself and walk in the Spirit. It won't be something that happens by going somewhere in a room of your house and getting filled in some kind of miraculous way. And then forever you're full of the Spirit in a manner in which you will always live in a manner pleasing to God. That's ridiculous. It'll be a conscious decision that we make every day of our life that is teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live right. Right. And so we see the grace of God in educating us. Uh, this is um, uh, the grace that he, he, he said, yeah, there's grace that establishes us. There's grace that enables us and grace that educates us, which is what we're dealing with here. But there's grace that uh, if you if you go back in the in the book of Hebrews and other places, there's grace. Uh, I was talking to a man today and not only, and, and this is where I came up with that, uh, but grace that is educating me, but it's enabling me to live what it's taught me to do. Grace is a helping me and enabling me and empowering me to live soberly and righteous and godly. You can't do that if you're not saved right? It's grace not only teaching me that, it not only establishes that in my position, it not only teaches me that in education but then it also enables me to be able to live up to the expectation that has been taught in here in the book, in the Bible. So, he, uh, uh, therefore uh, let us come boldly to the throne of that we might find mercy and obtain grace to help in a time of need. How about this verse, but he giveth more grace. You didn't get all of God's grace when you got saved. There's a, there's an abundance of grace. Is there not? You get in that time and say, uh, listen, there's a saved people can do some messed up stuff. You'll have to, you'll have to determine and you'll have to work hard at it. That's why the Bible says grow in grace. Right? Practically, it's a process. Positionally, it's in the moment of the twinkle of an eye. I've been forever perfected and I'll never change. I'm just as holy as Jesus. Right? Positionally. Practically, though, and grow in grace. Position will never grow. You are who you are in Christ. That'll never grow, but you can grow. The only way to grow in grace and is practically right. Wow. Grow in grace, and so there's more grace to be had. You say, "Well, how am I going to do it? I'm facing some kind of temptation." Well, first of all, you should have started praying before you entered into temptation. Right? Pray ye that you enter not in temptation. Uh, But then once that you're in that temptation, God will give you grace that you may be able to bear it. You don't have to go through with that. God will give you more grace and help you not to fulfill those lusts walking in that spirit. Isn't that wonderful? God help us. It, we've got fundamental Baptists that teach it. It just doesn't matter. It's all about grace, you know. You just get saved, and we're all going to end up in heaven. It doesn't matter. Don't 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 drive yourself so crazy trying to live holy because it doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus. Well, that sounds pretty, doesn't it? Problem is, it's just the only thing wrong with it. It's just not so. <laughs> Should be good on a T-shirt or something, but it's not out of the Bible. you put it on a bumper sticker and sound nice, but. God is teaching saved people to live their position out, right? We are supposed to be as we are positionally in this world. We are supposed to walk in that and talk that way and act like who we are. And who are we? Accepted in the beloved, right? And so we see what the uh, what grace starts out here in verse number eleven. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. And so uh, if we started out. Uh, grace teaches us what to deny, and then uh, grace teaches us what to do. Where we'll pick up tonight, grace teaches us not only to deny ungodliness and worldly love. That's one side of the coin. But then there's another side, right? It's kind of like people that, uh, that uh, define repentance as a turning from. That's only penance, right? That's only half the equation. You turn from won't do you no good unless you turn unto Jesus, right? You got to turn from unto. It's the same thing here. It's not only enough that you just don't drink and you don't cuss, you don't run around with women and you don't do all that. That's not enough. Now you're going to have to do the positive side. You got to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. It is not enough just not to do your checklist, right? That's what he teaches here. Grace teaches us what to deny. Now it's teaching us what we should do. Now it's telling us these three things. Look with me in verse number 11. The first thing uh, is living soberly. Living soberly. Let me give you these before I preach through them. Living soberly has to do with our duty to ourselves. To live in control of our evil propensities and passions. Right? Right? It's not easy to do. Living soberly has to do with our duty to ourselves. Living righteously has to do with our duty toward our fellow man. Treating others in a just manner. Living godly has to do with our duty in pleasing him in all that we do. So we are to live soberly. We are to live righteously, which is spelled out in the Bible. And here's what people say. You get to preach that Christians ought to live righteously and they'll call you legalist. Legalism by definition means that I'm trying to attain unto salvation. Two types of religions in the world. Attainment and atonement. I'm in an atonement religion. Right? I'm justified by grace through faith on the behalf of what Christ did on Calvary when he took my sins in his body on the tree, took them in the heart of the earth, and raised himself by his own power. I stand just based on the merits of another. Right? Right? Not my own righteousness. There would be boasting in that, right? And so uh, that's not legalism. Legalism is not telling you to cast yourself by faith wholly upon the finished work of Christ. Legalism is telling you you must be circumcised to be saved. You must be baptized in order to be saved. You must do something or, or don't do something in order for God to justify you. The Catholic Church believes that. They believe God does not justify the ungodly. God only justifies godly people. Calvinists borderline that when they teach that men must be regenerated in order for God to save them. They're getting the cart before the horse. And, uh, and that's not the religion we have. It is not legalism for a preacher to tell saved people how to live right. It's not legalism for God's grace to teach you to live soberly and righteously and godly. What, what most people that teach that stuff are looking for is an excuse for why they're so sorry. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's the facts. They, they just want to excuse their sin, is all they're looking for, right? They can lessen the damage somehow by saying it's all about Jesus. Well, that's a cute saying, and I love it. Look, the life, uh, this life we live is all about Jesus. And used in the right way, I'll give you a big shout, a hearty amen to that. Everything's about Jesus, right? But where that somehow turned into, it's all about Jesus, so just live any way you want to and don't worry about it. And that certainly isn't about Jesus, is it? Because if it was about Jesus, you'd want to live soberly and righteously and godly, right? So we see what grace is teaching us to deny. Then we see what is grace is teaching us to do. Live soberly. And that... I read it to you, but to live in control of our evil propensities and passions. Listen, uh, I said this this morning, but can I remind you, please, don't ever deny how ungodly your flesh is. Don't ever refuse to accept the reality that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. And you're just as capable of doing exactly what some of the people you badmouth are doing. You're capable of doing the same thing apart from the grace of God. The only difference between you and Hitler is the grace of God. I'm not saying a man's as evil as he can be. That's a different story. But uh, I am saying this, that in your flesh, you're capable of doing some of the most vile and godly things you never dreamed of. Even a saved person's capable of doing ungodly things, right? So, we had to keep ourselves under subjection. Did not Paul strive to do that? Did he not want to keep his body under subjection? We read that this morning. I believe Brother Oliver did. And uh, this is what grace is teaching him to do. Grace is teaching us to deny, teaching us to do in this present world. And I know that's been hammered on a lot, but we can't say enough about that. That's some people get the idea that when we get to heaven is when we will live righteously and godly. And you better believe we will because nothing will enter there that will defile. Amen. My position will become my practice then. And my vile body, my corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. And then become come to pass the saying, the death's wall of life. Oh, death, where's thy victory? So, uh, that's wonderful truth, uh, but that's not what it says here. He specifically says, in this present world, if you're born again and claim to be saved by the grace of God, live soberly and righteously and godly. That's what said, right? In this present world. Now... I don't know how. I tried to think in the mind of another person that teaches contrary to try to understand how they would expound those verses. And I honestly cannot even give you a, anything in order to try to help you combat that. With, there, I really do not understand the thinking of a saved person who is teaching other people uh, that they should not worry about how they live. Because that's not what grace is teaching. And I'm not commanded to teach that as a preacher, right? So... I don't have any help for those. All I can do is just say they're wrong and let's preach the truth and go on for Jesus. That's all I know to do. Uh, Grace is teaching us to deny and to do. Then look in verse number 13. Let's uh, get through, maybe get through this chapter tonight. In verse number 13, uh, now we see what grace is teaching us uh, to desire. We uh, Again, now remember, if you look in starting in verse number 11, uh, at the end of verse number 11, you have a comma And then in verse number 12, you have the semicolon there, right? So the sentence doesn't end until verse number 14. So we're still continuing the same thought along the lines of this grace of God. It's teaching us uh, 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 to deny and to do. And then in verse number 13, uh, grace is teaching us what to desire. So grace is teaching us to deny and to live right and now to look. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus. Jesus Christ, same event. Now I've said this before, but I'll just say it again. Uh, this is because it's wonderful when you see this uh, word connected; these two uh, nouns of the same case connected by this word. And I won't bore you with it, uh, but uh, this connection here is referring to the same uh, event. There is a blessed hope that is also a glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior Jesus Christ. This same Jesus, which uh, you saw, <laughs> that says coming shall doubtless come again and receive you unto myself. That's what Jesus said, right? He cometh with clouds, right? Why stand ye gazing? This same Jesus, that's not what they told him. Jesus is coming with clouds. Jesus is coming. So, uh, I don't know uh, what your blessed hope is if you're not looking for Jesus to come, uh, but this being one event, looking for that blessed hope and this isn't, boy, I really hope Jesus was serious about this thing about coming back to earth. <laughs> right? That's the way most of us look at it. We like, boy, I hope I, I hope I didn't end up believing the wrong thing. I hope this is right. No, this is like faith hope. This is, it's just a matter of time. I'm just waiting for the fulfillment of it. Jesus promised that he would come again. His feet would stand again upon the Mount of Olives. He'll take the throne of his father David. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Amen. our great God and Savior, is coming again. Amen. Amen. And you ought to be looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. I believe that. As sure as I'm overweight, Brother Reed, I believe it. As unsure as my diet is Monday, (laughs) hey, you boys believe that? I believe you're going to hear the trump sound, and I believe you'll hear Jesus with a shout, the Bible said. And I believe that with everything in me. Jesus is coming again. This world, better get ready. Amen. The king's coming. Does that excites you, son? Yes. Hey, this ain't no fairy tale story. This ain't no Disney movie. Jesus is coming again. Yes. And I want to be found faithful. Don't you? I want to be found If we're in the last hours of the last days, which a lot of us believe that, but no, no man know it, but if that certainly be true, Paul lived that way, didn't he? He lived as though Jesus was coming today. And I want to be found faithful. I want to be found doing what God wants me to do. And I want to be found living righteously and godly and in a sober-minded manner when Jesus comes again. And I'm going to tell you some sober thinking, But well, he that winneth souls is wise. There's some sober thinking. If we'd quit fooling around wasting time on video games and we get to winning souls instead of worried about worry, uh, winning points on a video game. Some of us have wasted more of God's time. The Bible said, well, well the days are evil. Redeem the time." Redeem the time. Don't waste God's time. People are going to hell. Jesus is coming again, and we need to quit wasting God's time. A lot of time being wasted. All of us are wasting so much time. It's amazing to me how quickly I think time is beginning to pass. As you get older, does it go faster? Does it? I say, even so, come, Lord. I'm ready for the Lord to come. Boy, won't that be a day. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. We shall not prevent them that are asleep. Isn't that right, what the Bible said? For the dead in Christ shall rise first. I believe that. You, you, I'm talking about, I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know how long it'll take place. You know, how long it takes. God moves so fast, He he never moves. That's why He's eternal. I, I don't know how fast. The Bible says, in the moment, the twink of an eye. So, I, I don't know how fast all those things, if, if I'll be able to see it logically progress like that, I don't know. Uh, but we do know that the dead in Christ shall rise, and we won't prevent them which are asleep. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that wonderful? Say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that just makes you an unbeliever. I'm just kidding. Boy, do you believe that? I believe the Lord's coming. And I believe we're going to hear him. And he's going to step out and say, come up hither. I believe it, Brother Gary. And I believe God's strong enough to get my big old body right on up in the... And this corruption shall put on... I, I wondered about that. Well, don't let me get to wondering because we'll all be messed up if we do that. Let's not do that. But you know, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. I was thinking about what kind of body. You know, this... It's a bloodless body, right? I mean, for the life, okay, so let's just go on. <laughs> if we don't, that's not going to help no. So grace is teaching us to deny to do, and then what it is teaching us to desire. It will help us to endure hardness as good soldiers and not grow weary and faint in our minds. I can remember. I know this is carnal. I don't have many good spiritual applications because I'm carnal. So you'll have to... Excuse me? He'll pay for that one. If you think about this, I don't, I don't know about you, but it, 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 this, I, I'm growing weary with this world. Are y'all growing weary with it? I'm growing weary with seeing men wearing lipstick There's nothing to make a man want to puke a gut Like a man that doesn't want to be a man It's sickening to me And I feel sorry in some ways For people that are so mentally unstable I mean that They're deranged, and their soul needs help And it's just It's weary to watch The current situation of our government To see You know it seems like there's a majority shifting Against Israel You notice that in our nation it's not as popular to love Israel as it once used to be in this country. But just watching all the things take place to see how things that are going in life, you just, you just get weary, don't you? You grow weary and we'll do it. You get weary of fighting battle. I'm, I'm tired of fighting against my flesh. I'm tired of that warfare uh, where the flesh is lusting and wanting to go one way and the spirit's wanting to go one way and I'm caught in the middle trying to keep one under subjection and trying to fulfill the other. I'm telling you, it gets weary battling these battles in this flesh. You get weary uh, feeling the uh, result of others' battle uh, in their flesh. I mean, it just, I don't know about you, but this world's not my home. Amen. And, and I've got a better country. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm going weary with this body. I'm going weary with this earth. I'm going weary with this world. And I want to go on home and be with Jesus more than anything in my soul. And there is just something that the grace of God is teaching me to desire is to keep pressing on. Don't give in. Don't quit. Just keep looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of my God and Savior. And that might get you through tomorrow. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm telling you, I'm struggling. Listen, I know it's a struggle, but if you'll just get your eyes off yourself and keep looking unto Jesus, Amen. at any moment, he's liable to come for you. Amen. I know it's carnal, but my mama moved us out of schools. I had to move schools twice at least, and... And I could remember sitting there. I had no friends, and I was in a very uncomfortable position in uh, South Carolina. In a, uh, uh, well, I was very uncomfortable. Where I was, I didn't fit in. You're talking about a, what is it, a round peg in a square hole? or whatever, whatever it is. That was me. It's like Jed Clampett in, in, on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard is what it was like. And uh, I was so uncomfortable. And I didn't mean anything demeaning by that. I just mean, seriously, it was un- it's uncomfortable. And, uh, and I can just remember sitting there watching the clock, just watching the time, keep pulling up time. Because I knew my mama was going to come get me at 3.30, buddy. My mama was going to be there, Brother Oliver. And I just couldn't wait for her. And it just got me through the next class to the next class. Because I just knew at some point that hand was going to strike down there at 3.30. And that bell was going to ring and mama was going to be waiting out front. I know that's carnal sounding to you, but I, I've had many times like that that I just knew I had hard times, but I knew uh, there's uh, there uh, there uh, there coming an end to these difficult days, my friend. There, there's going to be an end to it all. You've heard the old saying, this too shall pass. This, this, this life we're living in such weariness and heaviness, if need be, for a time. The Bible says you're in heaviness and manifold temptations, and, and we are, we seem to be more and more every day. But there is coming an end. It did say for a time, if need be, because there's coming a time where it won't be necessary, and it won't be. <laughs> we'll be with Jesus. <laughs> don't give up. Don't quit. Hey, I don't want to end wrong. I have seen I was talking to brother Reed the other day about somebody we know, and uh, they they had a good testimony for most of their life, and they died wrong they died wrong i don 't want to end wrong, do you i don 't want to end I want to keep i 'm telling you I want to end right, I want my ending to be better than my beginning even. I want to enter, and I'm going to tell you what will get you through some dark times and it'll keep you going, keep you from quitting. It's just looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance, knowing that any moment Jesus might come. There is no fulfillment. There's nothing. The man of sin doesn't need to be revealed. I'm telling you, there's nothing on God's timetable that needs to happen other than God just tell his son to go get his bride. And Jesus is a coming. Nothing's withholding him from coming and man it'll get you through just another day you say well, you, I'm telling you I, I I don't know what many of you are going through but I I, I do know what it's like to be depressed to be down to be fighting battles and I, I know a little bit of some of those things that I may not know of the depths of Satan as some do but I certainly know a, de- a degree of that depth and I'm telling you it, there's, it's not to be made light of and I don't mean to make it sound so easy uh, but it is in a sense it is easy and so I have to preach it faithfully that way but I know in practice it's because of our flesh it's not very easy to live godly and to live soberly and to live righteously I understand that because our flesh is so vile not because God's made it difficult for us God's not playing games with you right he's enabled you and given you everything that's necessary for life and godliness so uh, if I'd encourage you some we're just right around the corner it might be tomorrow wouldn't that be something the night is far spent. It's uh, the night, uh, let's see, the night's coming when no man can work. Is that what he said? And uh, I believe that. And grace is in my heart teaching me to desire to see him. Yeah. I don't know what he looks like. We get a little glimpse of it in Revelation. And I, I don't know is his hair and his feet, as has he been in a furnace? That sounds familiar, don't it? I believe there was one like to the Son of God in there when they saw a fourth man. Hallelujah. And, uh, but, uh, I often think of that and try to think about, it. I'm telling you, that'll encourage you. Just keep thinking about it. one day you're going to see him. Just keep doing right. Like, uh, is it uh, Sexton? I, I can't remember who said, just until the stars fall, just do right. And I'll say, not until the stars fall, until the trump sounds. Yeah. Just do right. Could be any day now. Young people could be any day. Say, well, I tell you what, when I get married and I have kids, I'll get serious about this God thing. You may not get married. You may not see tomorrow. You may not have no kids. What you better do is accept the fact of the reality of the matter is today's the day. And don't put it off to tomorrow. Do it today. Get right with God today. Do what you're going to do today and serve God and love God and give Him everything you've got today because tomorrow He may come for you. Yes. Grace is teaching us that. not that wonderful? And I love that it doesn't just educate, but it enables us, doesn't it? For I am what I am by the grace of God. And Brother Easley brought this verse down For I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the Grace of God, which was with me. Yeah. I got some more verses on that too. You know you can get more grace to serve him with. Yes. Give me some of that. How about some of this multiplied grace, young man? I don't want some of that, don't you? Yes. Where am I, we may have served him acceptably of reverence and godly fear. All right, we got to go. I'm, I got just a couple of minutes. I was waiting for a chuckle or two. Hey, God's te- the grace of God's teaching us what to deny, what to do, what to desire. And then in verse number 14, this is some of what we've already talked about. But now he's teaching us what to depend on. Let me just give you a couple of things in these two verses. We'll go home tonight. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you love your King James Bible? I'm glad it's not the the appearing of the great God. It's a glorious appearing. Verse number 14, speaking of this great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from your iniquities before you got saved, but not the ones after, because if you don't keep it, you'll lose it said no Bible version ever. Even heretics that rewrite the Bible didn't put that in there. Who gave himself for us. Let's read that together. This last part, starting at that. Read it with me. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. How many of your iniquities are gone in Jesus? All of my iniquities are gone. They sang about that. And that, that, Hey, that'll help you go on and live soberly and righteously and godly. Not just denying and not just looking for the blessed hope, but remembering what Christ did for you on Calvary when he gave himself a ransom for you or to urge you on to want to serve him. It's not fear of judgment any longer. I'm bound by cords much stronger now. Cords of love. Hallelujah. Because he loved me. Because he loved me. I want to love him. I want to serve him. I want to serve others. I want to live godly. I want to live soberly and righteously because he gave himself for me. He deserves that out of my life. God deserves for you to honor him with your life because he gave himself for you. Because he bought you with a price. Hallelujah! He deserves my life, my all. Is that what John Wesley said? Hallelujah! <laughs> Love so divine. Oh, I can't remember it now. But uh, yeah. can I give you a little a couple of things here? This stirs my heart. I don't know anything that motivates me more to want to live for God, Brother Oliver, than to think about a, such a such a holy God that want to die for such a wretched sinner. There is nothing that will motivate you anymore than the love that God had towards you when you were unlovable. (laughs) You think about God gave himself for you. Now, can I give you this little preposition here that's used? I want to give you this if I could. It, it's pronounced, I'll pronounce it properly for you. I don't to pretend to be a scholar in these things, but this is wonderful to, to know these little things here. This word for is the word hooper. Now, it's, it's written H-Y-P-E-R, uh, but it's pronounced hooper. Uh, and this is, this is what one writer said about this preposition, about this word uh, for. It is the preposition of substitutionary atonement. Now... I want you to, boy. We can't go to all these verses that I've got on my heart here, but uh, these. Uh, this word "for" means instead of. It means it means above. Who gave Himself instead of us? Who gave Himself above us? This is substitutionary atonement. This is the just for the unjust. He who knew no sin uh, was made to be sin for you that you could be made the righteousness of God in Him. This is substitutionary atonement. God gave himself in the person of Jesus in the stead of you. <laughs> so instead of you dying for sins, he died for sins. Hallelujah. And so... (laughs) this little word, you could go on in so many different places that I wanted to look at it but we don't have time tonight. Ephesians 5, 2, Galatians 1, 4, 3, 13. 13. I got so many verses that it uses that that word Um, and you can search that uh, word and do that later on. But it it stirred my heart up uh, to see uh, what is the motivation. What is the, what is the, uh, 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 what am I depending on? What am I, uh, what am I counting on? What am I trying Trusting in uh, him that gave himself uh, for me. That's what I'm depending on. <laughs> Not just in salvation, but in service. I'm dependent upon him. And uh, I'm, I'm done tonight, but who gave himself for us. And there's nothing That will motivate you anymore. You've got to stop. You want to find a quick way to dry up and die on God if you try to serve him in the deadness of the letter. If you look at everything you do in your Christian life as a law, you're going to dry up on God and die. It's not law moving me any longer. It's faith which worketh by love. It's love that has me wanting to move and serve him. Now, it's love that's causing me to want to move in the direction that's pleasing to him, which is generally speaking, we heard this morning, which is generally to love others, right? And uh, what what will motivate you to do that? If you look at me, you're going to fail God in that. You're not going to see much in me that deserves your love. If you're motivated by something I'm offering you, that love will die quickly. If you're motivated by, well, God will kill me if I don't. That won't work long. You can ask the Old Testament saints. But you know what will work? When you remember that God loved you when nobody else did. When you remember that God gave himself for you when nobody else wanted nothing for you. When your soul was worth zero, God paid the ransom price of his own blood. You weren't worth nothing. That's the reality. But God paid with his own blood to purchase you out of sin. Hallelujah. Now, when you get to thinking about that love, that will get you up and get you going in the morning. Yeah, God can hurt you. Listen, the Bible said so, and therefore, despite not the chastening of the Lord, we are all partakers, right? For without chastisement and all those things, one for afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Chastisement as its blade, uh, and I, I don't uh, look at that. But we, we serve God uh, without uh, without that uh, kind of uh, fear and dread of His power. Not that we're without it. That's a healthy, respectful filial fear for my for my father. He's certainly capable of beating me if he wants to. Amen? God can put a hurting on his kids. He can and he will. But that's not what motivates me to do right. I don't know about you, but what gets me up in the morning, gets me going, wants me to read my Bible and wants me to get in touch with God and wants me to pray and wants me to try to live right and wants me to try to love others and do right and cause no offense. The only thing that will motivate you and that will keep on going and keep you moving through hard times when that gets pretty difficult is when you remember the great love wherewith he loved you when he gave himself for you and you weren't worth having. He didn't get a prize when he got you, even after he saved you. And everything you are now, you are by the grace of God anyway. And uh, that will help you. This, what are we depending on? We're depending upon him, not just in salvation, but also in service. Now, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. A peculiar people. Now, I feel like I need to ramp it up and come back here. That's just so hard to do. This is, uh, I'll spare you the word here that's translated peculiar. But it means beyond usual, special. And we're not talking about, well, some of you are special all right. I've got two special boys. Miss Debbie, I mean that. They're special. I'm not going to go any further on that. They're special. But this is beyond usual. This is special, a peculiar people. This is beyond usual. What would be the usual? The world. Would it not be? So he wants us to be peculiar. He wants us to be beyond the world. Beyond usual, different from the world. And it's defined in its context. Look in its context, a peculiar people. What's so special about these people? Number one, they're redeemed from all iniquity. And number two, they're zealous of good works. What makes you special? (laughs) What makes you so special? Christian, God redeemed me from all my iniquities. I am an eternal son of God forgiven by grace. And now that would seem to be more position and more of the practice would be zealous of good works. Some people have a lot of zeal to want to do a lot of things. Some people are motivated highly at how much they can do wrong and get by with. But not so here. Here's God's intention. This grace is teaching us, denying ungodliness and what it's telling us to do and what it's telling us to desire. Here, what it's telling us to depend on, uh, looking for that uh, blessed hope who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, beyond usual people that are zealous of good works. And these things are good and profitable unto men, are they not? And so we need to uh, be reminded of that, that we need to be ready uh, to uh, do good works. Should we not be? Not because that we need to be saved, but because we are saved, right? Get it in its proper order. Redeemed from all iniquity. He gave himself to that end and purified himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And I'm done with verse number 15. Speak, these things speak, and exhort and rebuke, with all authority, let no man despise thee. And so I can't, we've been through a lot of these things, but that word rebuke means to check, to chide, to reprove with all authority. So if I'm in the word of God, that's where my authority is as a pastor, right? If I, if I say, Christian, you need to live soberly and godly and righteously in this present world, I speak when I say that with all the authority of heaven behind that. If I say you need to wear a white, tie, a white shirt under your suit or you're in sin, I've left my authority. I'll give you a good opinion maybe, probably not a good one at that. But I'll give you my opinion, but that's not where my authority is. My authority as a pastor, any preacher, is right here in the Word of God, right? And so, if I'm preaching the Bible, I'm to preach to you, and I'm to speak these things, and I'm to exhort to you, which uh, is a, has a little bit of a different meaning, ex- exhortation, uh, rebuking, and exhort. Exhort means to draw near, to entreat, or to beseech. Uh, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. And let no man despise thee. Now he's talking back again to Titus. And so let me just give you Webster's definition for this word despise. To look down upon with disfavor or contempt. To have a low opinion of. To disdain, dislike, abhor. To scorn, that, that, that definition is Webster's definition of this word. Let no man despise thee. So as a as a preacher, he's telling Titus here, do not allow anybody to challenge the authority that you have in the scriptures, right? Now come on, you all, you all believe in, in in these things here. This isn't nothing new. But I, I, I as a preacher, am not to allow you to speak low of me to have contempt for me or to look down upon me as a preacher with disfavor that's what your King James Bible says that's not me being a tyrant or me thinking that I'm anything because a church can't function when you have people going around speaking disfavorably about the pastor right so I'm not to allow you to do that that's what the Bible said everybody okay do not let anybody, here's what he told said, let no man despise thy youth. That's different. He's talking about a characteristic. Because it's very difficult, I can't even imagine what it's like to serve God longer than a preacher's been alive and you have to serve him. I, I can only imagine that's difficult, that's difficult. So he said don't let people despise your youth. That can happen. People can look Disfavorably upon you because you're young. And they said, don't let them do that. So obviously, he's got enough authority in the church to not allow people to despise the fact that he's young and trample over him in his youth, right? Same thing would go here. He tells Titus, let no man, do not allow anybody. And so can I say something? This is just not for me as a preacher, but I want to say something to us as, uh, as men uh, in the church. I want to exhort you, do not allow anybody to have this kind of disfavor and contempt and disdain for your pastor. See, it shouldn't come to me to deal with. I think it ought to be dealt with long before it ever gets to me. Because the Bible said, don't let any man. I don't have to go to the deacon board. I don't have to call a men's meeting. I don't have to vote and see your opinion of it. Now, I'm not being ugly. But your opinion doesn't matter when it comes to this verse. Right? Nor does mine. It's the fact of the matter is, you cannot allow people to despise you in the church. You can't. That's what the Bible said. It's sad more of you won't 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 amen that because most of you have let it go on for quite some time. So, for those of you that can't amen that, can you say amen right there, please? Amen. 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 Now, we'll go on from there. And these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. And uh, that is... Some of where we kind of believe here with the grace of God that is teaching us what to do, what to deny, what to desire, and what to depend on. Boy, you better rely on Jesus or you're going to have it rough. And let me say something here in that last verse. He said, these things speak and these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Can I tell you something? And this is just a word, most of you know this. Your entire Christian life, the devil's going to do everything he can to turn you on a preacher. Amen. You better believe that's the fact. He's done it to me as a preacher. Yes. I battled constantly with the enemy bringing up things about my pastor to try to turn me on him. That is as, that is as real. And listen, just because we know that doesn't mean he's not going to not do it anymore. It works pretty good. We're easily offended. We're weak in those areas, right? And so it'd be pretty easy for us to get started. With that. And so you think, well, I would never do that. You might be the one, the very one to do it, right? Consider yourself. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not easy uh, to, to deal with those things. Uh, but the Bible said uh, what we uh, should uh, depend on, what we should desire, what should we deny, what should we do. Uh, and then he ends that chapter, let no man uh, despise thee. These things speak, exu- exhort rebuke with all authority. And uh, can I, so can I say something in closing? We'll get uh, Brother Reed up here to give a, a verse. And I wanted to remind you of a verse that was on my heart earlier today, and we're done. Brother Reed, won't you come on, Miss Snow and uh, Miss Debbie, uh, if you can, please. Play for us. But speaking of this matter of grace that's teaching us to live righteously and godly in this world, I thought about this verse right here. The Bible said in James 1 talking about pure religion, to father the Father, to visit the widows in their affliction, the fatherless. But then it said this, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's a pretty high standard of separation, isn't it? You know what a spot is? I would not consider I would not consider this to be a spot. Would you? A spot to me would be so little you couldn't see it. Brother Lance probably couldn't see it. Tiny. That's a pretty high expectation of what God has for our Christian life. He does not want our Christian life to have one single spot of resemblance of this world on it. That's a lot, isn't it? God does not want you spotted by this world. So anybody teaching you contrary to that, just ignore it. God won't save people to live right and live holy. And I say amen to it. God, help me to do it. Lord, we need a lot of help. You know our flesh is weak. The Spirit's willing. The flesh is extremely weak. So please help us to, uh, Lord, live soberly and righteously and godly while denying these ungodly lusts in our flesh. We love you. I pray if there'd be anybody here tonight lost without Jesus, he'd help them to see him high and lifted up as their only hope of eternity. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet. If you need to come, we'll give you a verse. You can come on. Just mind the Lord.